Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your Motorsports Insider with the Indianapolis Star, here for another rousing edition of IndyCar Weekly. As always, I'm joined by the driver of the number 60 uh, Meyershank Racing Honda, Jack Harvey, after uh, what I imagine was a, an exhausting, long, uh, and lots more adjectives to be used to describe uh, inaugural Music City Grand Prix ahead of this weekend's uh, Big Machine Spiced Coolers Grand Prix at the IMS Road Course, along with all the folks from NASCAR, the Xfinity Series, as well, of course, as the Cup Series. Uh, Jack, um, after a, a couple-week break, which we talked about last week, um, that still had plenty going on, um, was it nice to to get back to uh, a racetrack and certainly a, a new one that uh, had quite a lot going on both on and off the track this past weekend? Absolutely. I feel like the break is really nice. I think we said that last time. But at the end of the day, I prefer driving a car. And to be able to go to, to Nashville, my first time in Nashville, as everyone knew, uh, there was so much hype and, you know, atmosphere around the event. It was honestly one of them places, you're like, just get me there now. And uh, I don't think it disappointed. I think the race was a bit interesting. Uh, and I think there was a few things just with the way the, the way the track was that led to a few interesting racing uh, scenarios, I guess, that i just never seen or encountered before in IndyCar racing. Uh, but probably that's part of the fun of a new track. So... Um, I love the break. I really enjoyed it. But I think I do better when I've got things to work towards. Uh, so I was certainly happy. And I kind of got the sense that my girlfriend was happy too, that we were uh, back racing as well, because suddenly I wasn't a, a pain in the ass when I was at home. <laughs> can understand that. Um, as you mentioned, uh, a wild, weird uh, inaugural race for on the, the streets of Nashville had a lot of hype going into it uh certainly um i think in some ways lived up to that hype as we learned a couple days ago uh this race brought the or drew the largest cable audience for an indycar race that nbc has ever had and the largest one uh since 1998 uh, a kart race that i'm not quite certain of which that was but uh, the the final number was a little bit over 1.2 million, which on cable, as I mentioned, um, is just an astounding number. Frankly, you know, IndyCar lots of times does a pretty good job to pull that on big NBC alone. And I think I tweeted this out on Tuesday when we got that rating information that three I think three races this year on NBC 
if I can remember correctly, I think it was the first Detroit race, uh, I believe Barber and then the GMR Grand Prix actually all rated below that. So even though we had uh, nine cautions and two red flags, I think it totaled 33 laps run under yellow out of 80 and someone even uh, added, uh, added up all those caution periods and said that it amounted to like, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes of the two hours and 10 minutes you guys were on track. It was pretty wild. Um, still had a, a race that had a lot going on. Some folks said that, uh, you know, on Twitter, as folks often like to opine when they have strong opinions, that it was a race that, you know, uh, someone who had never watched an IndyCar race before, whether they were attending the race in person in Nashville or were tuning in for the first time, you know, say you're a massive NASCAR fan, but you kept NBC Sports on following the the NASCAR race that aired this weekend at Watkins Glen and watched a, an IndyCar race for the first time in a long time, that that didn't make for good TV. And while I could kind of see that point, it does certainly look like the ratings didn't necessarily show that. And frankly, for a, an uber casual fan, a race that is fairly unpredictable and has uh, certainly did not lack for action, even though it may not have been the type of action that we like to see and certainly drivers like to experience. Um, I imagine that race may have, for better or for worse, created some new IndyCar fans. I know we've heard drivers say that, you know, it was certainly a frustrating race maybe to be part of, but how do what do you feel like maybe from a, a fan's perspective um, that race might have been viewed as? It's really tough to say, mate, honestly, because I'm, I'm so biased towards driving and how the race played out for me and things like that. But, I mean, ultimately, you know, we saw the TV numbers. They were awesome. You know, and I think that's just testimony to the momentum that IndyCar has and also going to new venues, you know, and especially somewhere that's particularly as cool uh, as Nashville. It seemed like everyone in the city was excited. You know, race fans were excited. It seemed like the new fans were excited. How was the race received just watching? Uh, probably, I would say, probably not awesome. Uh, you know, I think there was a lot of goofy events that happened that, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, my, my own feeling on it was that it was, some of the events were a little bit goofy. Uh, but, and, I, and I, hate to, I hate to be this guy, but I do think there are fans out there who do this. There are definitely fans out there who want to come and see the yellows and the action and some of the crashes and things like that. So for, for, you're going to have people on both sides who are like, yeah, it was awesome because, you know, you were waiting to see what happened on the next restart. Mm -hmm. And then you had other people who were like, well, we're not here to watch the cars go around in the safety car. Um, so probably I, I would lean more towards it probably wasn't uh, the best race ever to watch uh, I think if there'd have been half as many yellows it probably would have been uh, mm -hmm. I think that would have made it quite exciting I think a lot of people enjoyed watching the race because they got a real sense of just how bumpy the track was and how on the limit so many of the all the drivers were you know how narrow it was and I think I don't know what they did differently filming wise but, but I got the sense just from what people were texting me about was they really could pick up on how high commitment the Music City Grand Prix ended up actually being. And I think that's cool. You know, so 
Don't get me wrong. I thought Nashville lived up to the hype, personally. I thought it was sweet. I love going to new places. I love being a part of an inaugural Grand Prix. Uh, honestly, Marcus's storyline, you know, through the race, from being running over the back of Sebastian, uh, you know, seeing the whole bottom side of his car, to then going on and winning, I mean, it's a great storyline. You know, it's almost the sort of thing that you couldn't you couldn't predict it, and you certainly have. I'm like, wow, these IndyCars are pretty robust, apparently. And I, I think there was a lot of real great individual stories coupled with clearly a lot of things that we need to do better next year, which you know I'm sure we'll get into, well, at least what we think those things could be. But um, I, think, I think a lot of people can pat themselves on the back, you know, for a really great, uh, you know, inaugural race. And the only other thing I would add to that, because I don't know if people really know this, the promoters of the race have been about as open and communicative as I've ever seen a group of people be to want to make this race fun and better and just keep growing and evolving. So I think I think this is I think it's going to be really something awesome. I agree. Um, I, I noted in a in a big piece that I finished up early Monday morning um, that both involved, you know, the the on track action that we saw as long as as well as the fan element from feedback that we got from fans that were on the ground, either from talking to folks there specifically or just via social media. Uh, there's there's certainly no, um, you know, there's there's the handful of things that you always know um, are going to, I don't know, go wrong almost even feels like too strong of a word, but things that the promoters could do better going into year two, you know, you don't expect this to be a flaw, you know, any event to be flawless in its first year. And frankly, I almost see it as if the event goes flawlessly, then maybe you in some way, you know, didn't take enough big swings. You know, if you only, sure, if you only had say like 20 or 30,000 people here, it's a heck of a lot easier an event to cater to that number of folks than the, you know, 60 plus thousand that they had in attendance on Sunday for the race, which is a pretty robust um, crowd for a, a road or street course event, particularly for a first year one and an event where the promoters have also said that there's room to grow. Uh, I think in total they hosted somewhere around 110,000 fans over the three days on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, Chris Parker, who is the uh, COO of the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix, told me ahead of the weekend that they feel like they could probably host close to 150,000 over the three-day weekend. So that probably means your Sunday attendance is you know, bumping up somewhere around you know, 80,000 maybe at least, uh, which would be really fabulous. I mean, that's, it already seemed like a fairly packed place outside of, uh, outside of the paddock. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, particularly, particularly on a weekend where, uh, shade was, uh, a hot commodity with as hot as it was there, (laughs) you would see lots of folks, um, you know, when action wasn't going on around the track, when I was doing the uh, couple mile walk, it seemed like between the paddock and the media center, uh, and that's for uh, another day. Um, you'd see lots of folks. You know, uh, I, I, I can interject on that. That was a pain trying to get to the media center from the 
paddock was, uh, in my opinion, unnecessarily hard and far away, you know, because like you said, it was so hot. I, I think that's probably the hottest I've felt all year, honestly. There was no shade. I thought it was packed with people. And I agree with you that if, the, if it had gone that super smooth, maybe someone hasn't taken enough risk. And a lot of what happened in the race actually just ended up being first-time things that a lot of people have seen with what we hope are going to be some quicker fixes. So I think Nashville is going to be in super good hands because they know they can grow. They know they can expand. They already have said they could host more people. It's just, it's just an awesomely exciting period of time. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the, the biggest snafu that we found out as far as off-track stuff was a, a grandstand that didn't get built till Sunday, but from what I understand and from what folks at Music City Grand Prix said, was really largely out of their hands. It was a supplier that either got behind on producing materials. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it was a shipping issue or production issue or even potentially a, a construction issue, and it might have been a combination of all three of those things. But there was a grandstand that would have held more than 4,000 people that didn't get constructed until uh, early Sunday morning, which was, you know, I mean, frankly, a good thing that that was even set by then because trying to displace another 4,000 folks either into other grandstand spots, of which I don't think that there were too many available, or simply into the standing room areas that were fairly deep with folks, I think would have been pretty difficult. But if, if that's your biggest thing, um, from a fan's perspective that that goes wrong on a weekend and it's something that uh, you know you can either not deal with those folks again or just make absolutely sure ahead of time next year that all of that stuff is buttoned up i think is is fairly good i know one complaint that we also heard from from fans and i think is fairly reasonable is that it was a a pricey ticket to get access into the paddock we heard i i heard some some conflicting things ranging from uh, being $1,500 per person for a package that included, uh, included a paddock pass, among other things, uh, to $1,500 for a package for two people. So either way, that's a either a $1,500 weekend ticket that I'm sure included parking and you know maybe suite access and, and other things, or even $750, which is quite a lot more than events Hopefully like... Hopefully include your hotel as well. Uh, you would certainly hope, um, but you know we we see events like uh, Road America is always one that folks bring up, or Mid Ohio that you can get you know three day access for under two hundred dollars, um, and it's a it's a really great bargain for uh, an avid sports fan for a, a weekend of enjoyment, and I I think I can certainly understand uh, why you know why Nashville would you know want to try and see you know you maybe as i said again maybe you swing for the fences a little bit and and frankly i think that they might have been close to selling those tickets out i was also told that for whatever reason and i didn't quite understand this that they had they could not just have a a general admission um situation there a because of how many people they expected on sunday for example but they also had some sort of a capacity limit in a given area because they were on the grounds of the Tennessee Titans and because it's the Titans there are some 
rules that they have to follow um, that have to do with, you know, the NFL or whatever. So I, I didn't quite get a handle on that. And maybe it comes down to, you know, maybe there's a, a certain level of ticket that's hopefully lower than $1,500 uh, that they can give some some more folks that are there the access of, you know, you know, being up close to you guys and your teams and your crews because I think that's such a, a cool and very unique experience, not only in motorsports, but in sports at large. Uh, and for so many folks that I imagine may have been their first IndyCar race, I do hope at some point that some more of those folks could get access because it frankly, you know, for the time that I was in the paddock, didn't feel um, super packed. I don't know if you had that same experience, but it certainly didn't have from what I felt like the feel of a mid-Ohio or a, a road America in terms of the, the density of folks that were in there? Uh, I, I felt like the actual paddock itself was probably a little restricted. Uh, sure. There was a lot of you know, fenced-up areas with uh, banners over them. And um, certainly when you go to like mid-Ohio or road America, you know, so the, the the tracks are just set up so differently. I mean, I'm not they're not really like apples to apples comparison. I mean, Very if true. I think about those two circuits, I think of camping, and I think what amazing value it is. And I'm like, this would be awesome. Like this is like Road America, Mid Ohio, for sure is somewhere where every year I look at the schedule. I'm like, I want to get an RV and I want to camp, and not in the driver's lot, in like the bits outside because it just looks like a blast. That being said, they've got loads of space to be able to accommodate that. And when you go somewhere like Nashville, there's so many restrictions from space to quantity of people, like you mentioned, that, oh, I don't know, it, 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 I, I sympathize, you know, because I do think the tickets were expensive in Nashville, but I think comparing them to Mid-Ohio and Road America is maybe a little harsh. Because they're just, they're just, there's no way that they could host that many people because they don't have the space to do it. Um, now, sure, I think, it, I, I, I personally, I feel like COVID is becoming much more of a conversation again for a few months there. It kind of, it cooled off a little bit, but it certainly feels like it's coming back. Uh, and I was under the impression that part of the reason the paddock was maybe kept a little separate again was just because of some potential concerns that people may have um, about that. So, I, again, I understand it. Um, I would like to have seen a few more people like just around the paddock because the thing that was, you know, the caveat to that was the, like the pit lane and the actual area to pit lane was like packed with people so much so that you couldn't like almost get through. You know, <laughs> it's just a really restricted some areas um you know and really if you think about like saint pete this year it, it felt like the same thing there was a ton of people around the track you know kind of around the paddock ish but maybe not directly in the paddock um and i, I hate to say it but but you know when i thought about nashville and staying downtown and all these things it was a, it was a, and I'm not saying, I hope the other tracks are not listening. I hope they are listening. I hope they don't take offense. <laughs> Nashville was one of the premier places that people wanted to go this year. You know, that wasn't one of them times where you're looking at it going, oh, we can go to Nashville cheap. 
that was one of them times where like, oh, Nashville's gonna gonna be a little bit because of the atmosphere around it, the lack, you know, like the lack of space, the lack of people that they could bring in. It just made everything premium. Mm-hmm. You know, like will Nashville be that way in three years' time? I have no idea. I hope I'm here to see that and see how it evolves and you know progresses and. I would say it became more, I got the sense it was more of a couples and like fun trip opposed to like a family trip like Mid-Ohio and Road America. Certainly. And, you know, after I say that, maybe Detroit's a little bit better of an example. And I and I say that while knowing I, I do think it feels like the, the Detroit Grand Prix paddock space still felt like it was much bigger um, uh, of an available um, space. As, than than the Nashville does, and um, I mean I think that D- Detroit in some ways you just have more, you know, there's not as much going on uh, on Belle Isle as there is in that you know fairly restricted sure. space around the the Tennessee Titans Stadium too. So definitely, and one thing that I really picked up on, especially being my first time to Nashville, I said to a few people walking down Broad Street, uh, Broadway, sorry, on the first night, I'm like, wow, is this for the race? They're like, no. <laughs> this is always that busy. And you're like, wow. Like you, you all you went to one of the like most vibrant fun cities in North America. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe not the most mainstream, it's not like having a race in New York or something like that. You know, but to me, you went to one of the busiest cities that when you take a sporting event to probably you know, it's going to create a bit more of that, you know, luxury feel to it, I guess. Um, and it's just a a hip happening place, you know. Mm. And I think there was just a lot of people around, or maybe not in the paddock. And then, no disrespect to people in Detroit, but like when you go into Detroit, if you're not in Belle Isle, I'm I'm literally in my hotel room or I'm at the track. You know, in Nashville, you could walk around, you could go to a whole bunch of different places. Um, you know, and in a lot of fairness, when you go to Long Beach, you're even a little out of the city in Long Beach. But in Nashville, I felt like you were very much in the heart of that city. No, yeah, I agree. Um, let's see here. Before we get back to the race... Um, what what was your favorite thing that you were able to do in in downtown Nashville? I mean, I know that I know you were on the uh, Sirius radio show at Margaritaville on Thursday evening um, that yeah. you know, we saw go down before uh, you know uh, Hinchcliffe and Rossi's podcast uh, at the same venue a little bit later on that evening. I was not able to personally to to be able to get out and and do a whole lot um, over those next couple nights just because there was so much going on and with as as late as the race got over on Sunday night um wasn't able even to enjoy it too much were you I mean it sounds like you were able to still enjoy the city a good little bit before uh you know in between everything that you were were doing uh at 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 and around the track I know we looked up on the podcast last week uh the definition of a of a honky-tonk did you get to uh any live country music while you were there we, we went into a honky-tonk uh, yeah. just for a little bit. I thought it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, I mean, I, I really enjoyed everything in Nashville. I thought it was cool going to Margaritaville with Sirius XM. 
obviously that weekend we had uh, the highway on our car as well, which was really fun to try and represent them. And um, actually, one of the things I really enjoyed at the back of our hotel, I think it was the assembly food hall or food court. And I mean, we are there nearly every night, you know, just because no matter what you're in the mood for, you can go and, you know, pick and choose something. I think on the last night, I was there with my girlfriend and her family, and on the same table, we had like pizza, sushi, you know, Indian food, uh, you know, tacos. I mean, it was just like a massive free for all on, uh, on food, and that was really fun. And to be honest, I just, I really enjoyed just kind of walking around and, you know, seeing all the people there, you know, listening to all the music. It was wild to me that there were so many so many places that have live music and I know that's what Nashville's famous for but if you've never been you pretty much think of like your one favourite bar that does karaoke every now and again you know or like once a month they have like a band uh, but this was every night and like every bar and a lot of the musicians that I listened to were very good actually like, I really enjoyed it and it, it was let me put it this way it was so good uh but then me and my girlfriend were looking at it like, when can we go back to Nashville for like a weekend vacation? Mm-hmm. I was thinking that exact same thing. I, t- I told my wife when I came back, I said, you know, we need to we need to find a way to uh, to get to Nashville at some point just for a weekend. I mean, I, I don't even think that there's like any specific thing that I like want to do. It just is would be such a fun city to you know, head down on a Friday afternoon and enjoy a, a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday, just, you know, walking around town, people watching, getting some great food, um, you know, listen to, listening to some live music, um, just a, a really, really uh, very cool city. And, and I'm excited, you know, that certainly for at minimum the next three years and certainly sounds like if everything goes well, these next couple years, uh, quite a, a long time to come that we'll have this to look forward to on the IndyCar calendar, along with, you know, as the the famous street venues that we hear so much, you know, with a, a Toronto, hopefully, and a Long Beach and a, a St. Pete kind of sprinkled throughout the year. It's it's really cool to have, you know, a lot of these, we, when you only have 16 or 17 events, it's, it's cool to have a lot of these events sprinkled throughout the year. Um, that you look forward to specifically, you know, it's not just another race. It's not just a, you know, a, oh, you know, a, a cool race, but a cool venue, um, because I think that's really great for this, um, for this ever-growing fan base. Well, let's get back to some of the on-track action, as you mentioned or alluded to a little bit ago. Marcus Erickson wins his second race of the year and second race of his career, yet again in a, a wacky uh, street course events. He was airborne. I think I saw reported for uh, all, all four tires off the ground for something like 35 feet uh, with the front wing of his car about 10 feet off the ground and something that frankly was uh, was his fault and, and fairly amazing that it did not take out his car and, and end his race right there on that restart on lap four or five. Um, just kind of jumped it a little bit too soon, ran into the back of Sebastian Bourdais and took flight for a brief moment there. Maybe the most amazing thing is the fact that he was able to make an entire lap of the track with his, basically with his front wing, you know, dangling down. Sometimes I think I 
heard him say in the post-race, po- uh, post-race press conference that he was struggling at times with sometimes where his you know front two tires uh, you know were tr- starting to drive over the top of his wing. Obviously, you don't have any grip or any traction when that happens, and you almost lose it. Uh, you know, simply the fact that he was able to get around even. When the car or when the race, I believe, was cautioned for a good portion of that was pretty impressive in itself. But then just the the strategy calls that they made, um, pitting at the right times, and the fact that he pitted five times, uh, along with, of course, the two red flag periods that we had, where you know most of the I think you know I'm looking at the results right now. Every other person in the top ten pitted twice. He pitted five times. Um, under either green or yellow conditions and comes away with a, a one and a half second victory over Scott teammate, Scott Dixon um, had a really great battle there in the latter half of the race with Colton Herta hunting him down who it did seem like had the fastest car all weekend. I think he led both practice sessions and um, of course took uh, his second poll of the year in qualifying and led somewhere over 30 laps of the race and and saw his race end five laps too soon as he just kind of got maybe a little bit too aggressive there in turn nine with five laps to go trying to hunt down Dixon. They were, I think, at, at some points within a half second or so, and he made a little bit of a mistake and had to actually catch himself a couple laps before that not to... Um, not to run into, I think, the tire barrier in turn nine as well. Fell two seconds back and was then making up a lot of time again. And, and who knows, might have had a chance to pass him, um, might not. But we, we lost, uh, you know, maybe a, a great last lap battle there. But great race nonetheless. Makes Marcus, you know, maybe a, an outside t- title contender now when, you, you know, we still have these five races to go. Uh, with the performance that he's shown Ever since the 500, I, I think I did look up and confirm this stat that he's scored more points since the start of the Detroit Grand Prix than anyone in in the the paddock. You know, if he goes and rattles off another win or two, certainly could, you know, if nothing else, find himself potentially in the top three in points by the end of the year, which would be a a pretty incredible job for him in his third year in this series. Um, and, I, and third year in the series after having, I think, finished outside the top 10 in each of his first two. So when you had a chance to watch this race over again in these last couple of days, what impressed you the most out of Marcus's performance? I mean, everything, really. Um, I, I love Marcus. You know, I, I had coffee with him just before we went to Nashville. Uh, you know, one of my good friends and certainly was happy to see him win. Uh, one of the things I thought was impressive how somehow he actually didn't get a penalty for ending Bordet's race. I thought that was amazing. Um, and I guess they just thought that losing his front wing was going to be enough. But I do believe that contact with Seb put Bordet out. It did. So I thought that was you know a little interesting looking back that you know IndyCar didn't do anything about that. But I think well, the he biggest had a, lesson he had that a we stop all... and go penalty. He did. He... Yeah, he had an avoidable contact, stop and go oh. penalty. Um, oh, I got it. Came... Well, in that case, then, I take that completely back. He did get a penalty. 
in which case it makes it even more impressive than <laughs> what he did. And, and then to me, the biggest, the biggest takeaway really, and this is what IndyCar racing is about, and especially on a weird day like Nashville was, you know, with a lot of yellows and reds and all these things, is you never give up. You never give up. You never stop trying because you just don't know. And that is the reality, I think, of IndyCar racing. And he and his team reminded us all of that, I think. And I would say the mental grit, desire, you know, whatever, uh, just to keep going. Because if you do just happen to pit at the right time and a yellow comes out and it helps you, and you've got a quick car, because I thought the Ganassi cars looked very quick again all weekend. Um, you can win. You know, and I think that's why we love IndyCar racing so much. And he, he probably, in one weekend, summed up how I think a lot of us feel about IndyCar. And it was, it was, it was a little random. And we, don't, we don't love that part of it. But it was exciting. It was a bit unpredictable. Um, and if you're just opportunistic and you put yourself in a position to have a great day, that you can have a great day. Uh, so, honestly, I take my hat off to, to Marcus, to everybody on his car. Um, you know, there's a guy who for sure deserves to be getting the credit for how good he is. Uh, you know, I felt like Marcus has been too underrated. You know, and this year he's just done, he's done so good that you can't, uh, you, you can't avoid it or take anything, you know, away from him. And I believe that Ganassi have got, what, three cars in the top five in points right now? Mm-hmm. They do clearly as a team also doing a good job and um yeah i mean it was just it was just a mightily impressive weekend on uh, on all their behalfs like to maybe give a, a shout out to the the folks at Dolara. i feel like if you're in their pr department you take that clip of marcus's car flying through the air uh and then <laughs> flash forward to him hoisting that massive trophy on the podium uh, that's got to be uh, a, just a testament to you know how how well those cars can stand up. I mean, it was pretty amazing that that you know his the front of his car being ten feet up in the air and slamming down on the asphalt like it did. I know he said that it did damage the suspension a little bit, but I mean, uh, I mean to to be able to have the pace uh, I, still. I, I, I... I kind of not sure it did that much. That might be one where it knocked it out, maybe the most minimum amount possible. Sure. Well, the I mean, way he was like able to it. hold, the way it held, you know, that he held the fastest guy on the weekend off True. pretty, not easily, but like convincingly, I would say, you know, and that was obviously Colin Herter. And only my opinion, you know, in my experience of racing, when you're having a great day and your car's quick, some of those little things you can still drive around and it's fine. Sure. I feel like the IndyCar series is so competitive that whatever may have been knocked off can't have been that bad. Because if it had been that bad, he would have funneled backwards, and he did not. Sure, absolutely. He was he was extremely quick. So, you know, like I would have been surprised if something wasn't a little bit <laughs> askew, but certainly. Not to the point that you were still that fast. And by the way, oh, this was way off. Like, I don't think so. But um, yeah, I, I Delara need to do it. Delara done a fantastic job in IndyCar racing for quite a long time now, and the cars are just obviously quite robust. Um, one of the things I thought was nice was 
hearing Marcus talk after the race, because one of the things I was worried about when I saw the replay after was that maybe when he came down, it would jar something on his back. And that wasn't mm. the case either. So, um, yeah, I think Delara certainly can be patting themselves on the back for the uh, for the great job that they do. And obviously, as a recipient of their hard work, hope it carries on. <laughs> certainly. Uh, we, we've already mentioned, you know, the number of cautions from this race. The, the knee-jerk reaction from fans, you know, and, and quite a good amount of them, at least in my mentions and, and from what I have heard from talking to some other folks around the series, just kind of fans at large, was to see the fact that you guys were running on a brand new course, uh, which had been talked a lot about, you know, how narrow it is in some places and how tough it could be to pass in a, in a couple places here or there. And you just immediately look at the number of laps run under caution and the, the nine cautions total. And just to jump to the conclusion that the track was to blame for most, if not all of that. And I did myself kind of go back after I you know had a little bit of time to let that race set in and went through each caution individually and really couldn't come up with much maybe beyond that lap what was it lap 19 uh crash that turned into a red flag the first one of the day where you know will made a, a pretty tight pass on simon there in turn 11 when the race had gone green um you know maybe a, a place that you guys could talk about as james hinchcliffe referred to in the post-race press conference about a place that you know, yes, you can technically pass because the race has gone green. Everyone's bunched up there, though, and in maybe a a situation where you guys could, as drivers, agree, you know, make a, a gentleman's agreement of sorts that you guys don't pass until you get past turn 11. Um, I can tell you, though, just out of experience, the, that, the, that's the great thing. It, sound, it sounds really good and everyone's doing it, mm-hmm. but it takes one person one time was having a good day or a bad day to yep. jump that the best thing that in my opinion i i completely agree with james when the track goes green the track's live therefore every driver has the same opportunity to try and make maneuvers of which they're completely entitled to i feel like my solution to that would be that the track doesn't go green until the leader has crossed start finish okay or sure. something because from the back, you know, on one of the restarts, we happened to be at the back. I mean, they were going green. I still had two more corners to go before <laughs> we actually got to the finish line. Wow. You know, and I, I think that's where, to me, like, yeah, you go green, but have a yellow flag there then, or just like a local yellow. Because mm-hmm. if you, and, I, and, and, and from experience, you know, if you give the drivers an opportunity to make a move, they're going to make a move. And at least I feel like a few of those yellows bred more yellows. Yep. You know? Yep. It was like the epitome of that statement and where it comes from. So I feel like the big ticket items I would do if I was going to change something at Nashville, I would change the pit lane. I would do the pit lane into turn 10 and not on the exit of turn um 11 because okay. I think the pit lane was so short that when there was that safety car because of what happened in turn one 
it was nearly quicker to do a full stop and go service than stay on track. It was that was wild. That was wild. That was wild. And again, they could never have known that before they got there. You know, that's nope. what part of a new track and new experience is all about. So, you know, trying to fix that next time, I feel like if there's a certain crash in a certain place, that to me had cause to be a red flag. Or mm-hmm. close the pits. Or let's change the entry of pit lane and just make pit lane longer so that that's not as much of a factor. Sure. Do you, I know we heard some folks even offer up a suggestion as well to not only have the race start heading into turn nine on the bridge, but to do all of the restarts there. I know the problem that you run into there, just kind of being devil's advocate, is that uh, I think the folks that are in those suites that are right by the start-finish line up in Nissan Stadium, uh, and I think it, the part of the reason that you have the start-finish line, or I guess just the finish line, uh, and the restart line there is that those folks paid a, a lot of money for those seats, and you want to try to give them value for it. And if you, I mean, for for better or worse, you know, a lot of the action does typically happen on those restarts as along with the end of the race there. So, you know, maybe if I mean, those they, folks don't get to see the the restarts, maybe those are are devalued. Uh, but is that a reasonable thing that that you could no. see happening? Okay. No, I mean, I I I mean. No one probably really cares what I'd have to say, but I certainly, not in a mean way, I wouldn't be not making a change just because someone has a ticket in the last corner because they're expecting to see a crash on a restart. Yeah, I mean, sure. that's that to me is not a good enough reason not to make a change because then I'd be like, okay, well, why don't you take your ticket and go stand in turn nine, maybe? Yeah, sure. You know, I think ultimately the changes that people are trying to implement would be the ones that keep the races exciting that you don't get weirdly or randomly penalized and we were sadly one of the cars that got penalized in that exchange going so slow to try and avoid uh, renus in turn one behind safety car mm. the people who did like full service didn't lose any positions you know and that is just like the biggest advantage and two things one kudos to the teams who saw that and reacted well to that but also to me one of the things that i didn't understand with IndyCar over the weekend was why when it went red because of that accident, why they didn't just keep sending us through pit lane. Sure. Like why they actually stopped the race and they told Colton do not overtake pit lane because that would have put a lot of cars a lap down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen them do that before to that severity where they actually red flagged the race. And it seemed like IndyCar in a situation where they were watching this stuff unfold, clearly trying to keep as many cars on the lead lap as possible. But in a normal race, even if it had been, you know, yellow the whole time, because of where that crash was, you could have gone safety car the whole time and just gone through pit lane. Sure, sure. Yeah, you I mean, know, that... so I, I feel like there was there was a lot of people who would have been hurt by that. But again. It just seemed a little confusing to me as to why that happened. Yeah, I didn't get a good explanation on that. It, it did confuse me a little bit because it did seem like that was a feasible option, uh, especially, I mean, I think that was like maybe the fourth caution that we'd had in the first 20 laps. Um, 
so you would think potentially uh, that they would have liked to just kind of keep the race moving once we started to see some, you know, maybe some evidence as you referred to there of cautions, breeding cautions. Um, I know someone that did get caught up in that as I'm just kind of scanning through the results here is uh, James Hinchcliffe. He was didn't take on any damage, but I think he was just kind of in the back of the pack there and simply had nowhere to go. He might have just pitted potentially. And, uh, you know, if that if that race isn't red flag there, then then James isn't, uh, you know, I can't imagine a scenario where he's still able to, to finish on the podium. But, you know, when he, you know, doesn't doesn't follow a lap down there and doesn't really get penalized for, you know, a, a, a crash coming at the wrong time, which is just kind of something that you have to know is always possible in, in IndyCar. It did certainly seem like it changed the, the dynamic of that race uh, a good amount. I know you you had another really strong day of qualifying, starting the race sixth uh-huh. there. Um Starting fifteenth, uh, I know it. With with all of the action that was going on, you know, I when I was looking through the results, I, I frankly wasn't able to quite figure out everything that happened in your guys' day to to leave you back there. Kind of just take us through, you know, maybe some of the the bad stretches of luck that you guys had there that that left you guys back in fifteenth on a a weekend that I know you guys certainly seemed like you had a, a pretty fast car. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely felt like we had a quick car. Uh, you know, in, in all fairness, I, I I don't think anybody really quite had Colton's pace. I think he was in a little race of his own, um, you know, and just his 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 fast six lap was probably the most impressive lap I've seen in an Indy car ever. Uh, I, it was just so good. Um, you know, so I was really disappointed and sad for Colton on how his race ended up. Uh, how did that race end up where it did? Uh, frankly, I, I would have to go back and like relive it and rewatch it, and I, I guess it's still not. I dissected it with the team earlier. It was a lot to do with one of the uh, we pit on one of the yellows. Honestly, just hoping that it would have gone green even for five laps. Okay. And I think had it had gone green then, I think we would have been in a good position. It just so happened that I think a lot of the guys obviously registered and recognized that uh, it probably wasn't. I think we were a little slow on that, which was amazing because there was a lot of yellows in the race, so you kind of couldn't really avoid it. Um, you know, I don't think it was a it wasn't a wildly aggressive call or anything like that. It was probably just one that we we just needed it slightly. To, uh, to go green and you know I think we would have been in quite good shape I mean sadly uh, that's kind of been the our season uh, which is really uh, sucks um, you know great great Saturdays and you know for whatever reason and at this point frankly there, there are many uh, but ultimately it doesn't matter you know we need to do better on Sunday you know there's there's no two ways around it that's the conversation we've been having this week is it's like look you know like we, we can't keep replicating mistakes we can't keep finding new ones um simply we just have to get it done because like i said to the guys i we qualify so well so often that if there was any luck involved in this it would eventually swing your way and that's why i try to avoid the we're lucky we're unlucky 
kind of card, you know, ultimately we, we just have to make better decisions, you know, mm-hmm. and um, th- th- that's not luck then at that point. You know, I still maintain that the only bad luck we've really had this year is uh, that Indy, Indy 500 qualifying. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, when you can go back through and you can pinpoint a bad decision, you know, it's not really luck then. You know, you could be... It, it, it's a little sad that it hasn't fallen our way a little easier, like I think it has for a few other people. That being said, we have to put ourselves in a position to, to take advantage of it um, in these next five on these next five races, because certainly there's so much potential with you know MSR myself, you know, and that and that package. It, it would be nice for a couple of weekends to uh, to realise that potential before we embark on uh, different journeys mm-hmm. absolutely um well that takes us into uh this weekend's race certainly where uh earlier this year um you know we saw a race where had you guys not had something going wrong in the pits looked like another one that was very very promising as we head back to the ims road course for as I mentioned, the Big Machine Spiced Coolers Grand Prix on the IMS road course. You guys have practice at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon along with qualifying at 7 and then a warm-up early in the morning on Saturday morning ahead of a 12.30 race on NBC Sports. It's a, a very unique weekend, again, with you guys uh, sharing the grounds of IMS with the folks in NASCAR, but not only having uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series guys on the road course, but the first time that the Cup Series guys will race on that course as well. So certainly a, a jam-packed weekend. You know, if you're someone that is is local or is going to be try to make it out there, um, uh, certainly a uh, I think really one of the the better weekends of of racing. If you're just a you know general racing fan in general, I mean it's a pretty good ticket. You know, get to see all types of racing and some very different racing uh, as well on that road course. I think it'll be really exciting to see. Um, you know, the, the variations of uh, an IndyCar race there followed quickly by an Xfinity race that last year was was frankly uh, amazing uh, to see how those stock cars adapted to that that course with as much as they could, you know, rub and, and bump back and forth and, and kind of use some of those, you know, really wide um, corners and, and some other really tight braking zones on the in the infield on that course to create some some pretty big excitement uh and then of course the cup cars where who you know whose cars are a little bit different you know maybe they can't rub and and bump and and take folks out of the way quite as much as the xfinity guys with a a metal bodied car but certainly a little bit more than you guys probably can in an indie car so i'm excited to see all of that take place for you guys it's an 85 lap race which i checked um and is the you know the the typical race length that we've had there uh at least for the gmr grand prix i know i think the harvest grand prix kind of i think maybe ran a couple distant different race distances last year um when that ran in the fall but uh, a track that we're very familiar with it's the fifth time that you guys have run here in about 13 months i think um so with that being said is it a race you know you know, when you go from a, a track that no one had run on before to one um, where you guys have all of this data and all of this familiarity and 
and really in lots of ways uh, a lot of confidence and momentum that you guys can take in uh, does it does it leave you feeling you know in a in a pretty good place heading into on track activity starting tomorrow morning oh definitely um you know i think probably no secret that indy indy has gone well for for us you know from our first race there to uh to now in terms of the speed and the potential that we have shown which is great um i think the schedule is a bit weird this weekend i think yeah, our qualifying sure. starts at 7 p.m uh so it's a little uh unusual but um yeah i mean i think everybody anytime you go to indy i feel like everyone just gets this extra sense of um euphoria you know i feel like sure. whenever indy cars are racing at indy you know it just kind of feels like you're racing at home you know and, and i really i really like that um like i said to the team you know we don't need to put ourselves under massive pressure this weekend uh you know we know we can be quick there we just got to test well we got to prepare well like i think we did today and um you know from from that point on you know we just have to try and do a uh, a good job you know i mean there's no uh, magic in that department it's uh, you know it's a lot of hard work and the guys and i say it every week i mean people just need to realize we're we're working so hard to try and find these results and find good Sundays. And, um, you know, the optimistic side of all of us hopes that it's, it's this weekend. And certainly I feel like we've had the pace in the past to, um, you know, come this weekend to, uh, you know, not just finish in the top five or top 10, but to come and try and win. Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, a weird schedule. You know, I, I saw, when I when I first looked at it at it I think yesterday, um, the fact that we have three different racing series running this same road course all before noon on Saturday morning is is pretty wild. You guys have your warm up that I think then leads into maybe it's uh, Cup practice followed by Xfinity qualifying um, all before noon before you guys hit the track at 12:30. It'll be uh, an interesting dichotomy of, of racing for folks that do get there early right around when the gates open on Saturday. I know you guys didn't get a chance really to interact at all with the, the NASCAR folks. They were flying in, I think, on pretty much a, a one-day show design last year when COVID uh, was was kind of at its height and folks were taking some necessary precautions with the, the chance to, you know, maybe interact with the folks in, in that series a little bit more this weekend. I mean, is that something that you, you know, you guys as, as drivers enjoy, you know, maybe getting to, to talk with folks and, and see some racing potentially in person that you wouldn't otherwise get to see at a racetrack? I would say, uh, you know, the thing is, and I'm trying to explain this to everyone, like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan, you know, I'm, I'm a racing fan. And, um, you know, any any chance we get to watch cars go around or, uh, you know, anything like that, I'm I'm always game and, you know, obviously excited to, um, you know, share the track with all these guys this week, have an immense amount of respect for what they all are doing, all the teams and everything. And I think it's really cool to um, have an event where we get to share, um, you know, something so awesome. So, yeah, definitely excited for that. Um the weekends honestly get so busy. I don't know how how much time we'll really have to be able to dive into it on a uh, on a big way. But um, you know, certainly we're doing our best to uh, 
to watch. Sure thing. Um, well, let me, before we finish up here, um, I know we did have a, a couple questions come through from folks on Twitter. Um, let's see here. We, ta we talked already a, a good amount about um, potential adjustments on the, the Nashville track. I will say the one thing that um, I do know is potentially being discussed is uh, the fact that, that that portion of the track that I think is turns four through eight that does cross over the bridge and take you uh, you guys around the the downtown area. Um, there's there's a chance to potentially expand that section. I think it's between turns six and seven and make that straight a little bit longer. Uh, I talked to some some folks at um, you know the the big machine Music City Grand Prix side of things that said that that's somewhere where they feel like there's there's some change that they could look into for next year. And frankly, it's that, I mean, from what I understand, you know, that is as tight as that portion was for you guys. Didn't seem like it was necessarily a problem area, but, you know, maybe it's a, if nothing else, a way to try, you know, kind of try and, and change things up and allow you guys to pick up a little bit more speed on that, you know, half or so of the, of the course there through those five turns. The uh, other question that we got here um, from Vincent Holleran on Twitter, um, kind of touching on a good amount of what we talked about in our last podcast. He just asks, uh, Jack, what are you most excited for in your next chapter with uh, a new team? Um, I know, uh, you know, as we certainly understand, there's still um, lots that you can't tell us, but is there anything, you know, from a, a big picture perspective that you would say you're most excited about before we get the the details on where you'll be headed next oh everything really uh you know opportunity to work with new people uh you know try to elevate my career um you know i hope i hope that we can take the same qualifying speed that we have uh you know and hopefully have some better uh, some better sunday you know i want to go and try and and push on and you know be competitive for the whole season and um you know the the goal in indycar isn't just to be one of the drivers for as much as i i absolutely love what i do you know i want to come and you know put together a good championship year and you know be a contender to try and compete for the 500 to compete for the series championship and um i believe that the step we're taking will uh, will really help us to uh, to do that so I'm, I'm honestly just looking forward to like a, a new adventure and I, I so love Michael and Jim, uh, you know, the owners of my shank racing. I love the team. I love what we have achieved together. I feel actually, I guess looking back confident in the fact that we're leaving when the team is in a, in a strong position. I don't think I would ever have left if the team wasn't in a strong position or anything like that. But uh, yeah, obviously felt like it was the right time to, to make a change and um I, i'm just like i'm just excited for the not for one specific thing but i'm just i'm just like really excited uh for what's next certainly uh and then vince actually had a, a second question on that um i know right when he joined you and and certainly around the 500 we talked a good amount about 
what you were looking forward to in your your time working with Elio. You've had two races now, and we'll have um, you know a handful more. I think four more before things are all said and done. Um, as you move on to uh, a new team, and, and Elio continues on in a, a full season role with Meyer Shank next year, um, he asks, "What did?" What would you say is the thing that you took away most from working with uh, with the newest four-time Indy 500 winner? Hmm. Uh, it's such a it's such a tough question to answer because for anyone who has listened to any of our, our podcasts or any interviews that I've done this year, my my bromance with Elio really knows no <laughs> end. Um, you know, he's he's been so awesome to work with. He's got so much experience. Uh, one of the things that was almost not humbling, but you know, in the last like probably month, I guess, from our Portland test to our Nashville race, you know, is watching a guy who is getting back up to speed with racing an IndyCar full time, and for someone that with the level of experience that he has, is still, you know, making steps and trying to be, you know, methodical about how he improves. You know, and his understanding, and you can see it's coming. You know, Elio is going to be, you know, quick next year. There's no doubt about it. Um, I would say one of the things I I most admired, you know, probably is a nice way to say it about Elio from when we met to probably his first, probably everything up to Indy uh, and obviously over Indy was the way that he integrated and wanted to be a part of my shank racing you know he went from arguably the biggest team in indycar and you know probably america um you know it's one of the smaller teams if not one of the smallest team on the grid and he came with this level of openness and desire to want to know everybody you know want to be a part of it i mean he totally immersed himself in it and I think sometimes you hear about these horror stories of people who join a little a team and they just have all this, they, you know, they almost bring like negativity, like, well, it's not like this where I was before. And Elio never had any of that. You know, he came with like the sole purpose, I, I felt like, of trying to help improve from the get-go. You know, obviously understood where our limitations were, um, you know, but has really just come in to try and integrate in and do the best job he he can, and um, I think I said it last week, I said it to him, you know, I would have loved if they had done my departure and his full-time announcement at different moments, because I really felt like he deserved to have that, and I know you could say that he's had a lot of time in the media this year, obviously being, you know, the newest four-time winner of the Indy 500, which I think is just the most incredible achievement. Um it has been a while since he was racing full-time in IndyCar, and I was really happy to see him get that opportunity because he's still got a lot of talent and, you know, hunger to uh, t- to give. And I certainly will miss being teammates with uh, Elio. He's been one of my most favorite ones I've ever had. And, um, you know, leave, leaving the team is going to be tough. I think Long Beach is going to be probably somewhat of an emotional weekend. And, uh, you know, knowing that I won't be working with him next year also is uh you know a sad moment but I mean, i'm going to enjoy these next five you know not exactly like they're my last because you know hopefully they're not going to be my last in indycar you know but certainly going to give it my uh, my 110 and you know with everyone's support hopefully we can get on the uh, in the win category 
Absolutely. Well, we'll see if that happens here this weekend. Um, as I mentioned, a, a 12.30 race for folks watching from home on Saturday afternoon on NBC Sports. You can catch, uh, I believe, practice on Peacock and potentially, uh, if I remember right, uh, qualifying may actually be on uh, NBC Sports uh, along with maybe the Xfinity practice there on Friday late afternoon or early evening. So if you can't make it out to the track, there's still some ways where you can catch up with all the action. Uh, as always, we will have loads and loads of, uh, of course, not only IndyCar, but NASCAR content on IndyStar.com. Any questions you have, feel free to um, you know, reach out to me on Twitter and we'll have all of your wall-to-wall coverage of the triple header weekend on the IMS road course here later on this weekend. Um, once again, thanks for joining me, Jack, and uh, best of luck to all the folks over at Meyer Shank Racing heading into uh, another great race weekend. Thanks, buddy. For IndyStar Sports, I'm Nathan Brown. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly.